All right, here we go. You're listening to the Revenue Real Hotline, one big-ass experiment about all things uncomfortable conversations and sales. There were a few first principles that I halfway remembered while designing the space, but really, anything goes. As your attorney, I'm obligated to remind you that anything does not, in fact, go, nor are you a practicing mental health professional. Probably should mention that. All opinions expressed therein are our own. Anyone following said opinions has questionable judgment at best, and this podcast is in no way intended to treat, cure, or care for any general maladies, global pandemics, pandemoniums, or the like. This podcast will very likely include ideas that are controversial, and as such, depending on where you sit and what your position is, may be slightly triggering. Before we get started, I'd like to give a big shout out to our sponsors, without which none of this would be possible. Just kidding. Seriously, call me. Playing games with human beings lives here, Amy, and also generating an inordinate amount of paperwork for the legal department. Nobody ever listened to legal. I don't understand. They're like the one department you should listen to. Disclaimer. God, we're going to have, we need a disclaimer alarm. Karen! Business requires risk, Pete, and so we're, we're just going to figure it out. Uh, that seems like a totally legitimate plan to me. I'm your host, Amy Rahovchek, and welcome to my experience. It is with great pleasure, listeners, that I introduce the great Ryan Walsh, the CEO of RepView, the longtime CRO, long time, like 18 years long time of channel director, champion of transparency and change for sellers on sales floors. <laughs> really, uh, now at the reins of the best, truest, most accurate data set about what's happening on sales floors. Therefore, this is the man that we start with. This is why this is the first podcast episode. Rep few hit my radar and it was a magical day for me. I know what power transparency brings and I know what change follows transparency. And with that knowledge came the desire to meet the person responsible for said beauty and said change that is going to come. And I am beyond honored and grateful for Ryan's willingness to come on and to talk about this stuff with me. And I'm excited for you listeners to be able to hear what this man has to say. I hope to convey knowledge, accurate information, not just what's happening by way of problems, but Ryan is starting to uncover our bright spots, the organizations that are doing it right. And as you'll hear, but he's going to talk about how he, the work that he's doing to socialize some of those successes. Um, more importantly, the decisions that he's making about who to spend time with on sales floors, like sales leaders. And I'll give you a hint. It's not the ones that have yet to acknowledge the problem. And with that, I give you the great Ryan Walsh. Okay. Ryan Walsh, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Revenue Reel. We are delight, or I'm delighted to have you here today. So thank you for joining us. Yes, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm glad to be here and glad to talk through any and all topics that we find relevant. I know you've got some good ones. <laughs> oh my god! And you know what? I uh, as as someone that is pretty much leading the charge on injecting more transparency into the hiring and retaining sales talent process, I know that you are very comfortable or familiar with some of the maybe unspoken conversations that are not generally happening on sales floors or maybe should be happening. And so, you know, I'm, I know I'm for one and am delighted or very excited to hear what you have to say today. So yeah. that said, Ryan, 
I would love to know, like, what, how did you get into sales? Mm -hmm. So, so I, to date myself, I started my career, my professional career. Um, I graduated from college in 1999. And that was a time when the internet, you know, the first internet boom was, was just totally bananas at that point in time. And so coming out of school, I was like, well, I, I'm, I'm in the Raleigh-Durham area and you know, there, there were a number of tech startups that were kind of cropping up and I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do. I was probably like a lot of people. And so I said, I'm going to try and get hooked up with one of these tech startups. And I did. And the company, this is, you know, before the whole crash of the internet boom. And, and I worked there for a few months and the company was fortunately acquired for a huge sum of money with no revenue and, and, you know, only 10 months old. And it was just amazing. Right. And that's every couple of years, that's going to happen for the rest of my life. And then right. I'll, I'll retire by the time I'm 30. <laughs> um, but then several months after the acquisition, thank God we were acquired. Then, then the, you know, that, that company went by the wayside where it would have gone by the wayside, but we were getting a check written by a large public company. The company that acquired us was called goto.com. And they were the first uh, internet search engine pioneer before Google was the search engine pioneer later changed their name to, uh, Overture and, and were acquired by Yahoo. But so we kind of reinvented ourselves in 2001 uh, as a new company called Channel Advisor. And the founder said, hey, you know, you've done a lot of good things as, in our startup. What do you want to do? And I said, I want to, I want to sell. Like, I feel like I'm good at it. I dabbled in it. And that's how I got started in sales. They said, all right, sure. So very, very little structure, very little sales leadership. The founders didn't have any. There were a couple of salespeople floating around and, and I just kind of figured it out. But like a lot of people, it wasn't a, especially back then, it wasn't a, a something I thought I'm going to go to school and I'm going to be a salesperson. I just fell into it and, and I, I enjoyed it. I did well as an enterprise rep for about five, six years, and then started to transition into some management and leadership roles, which I also enjoyed for, for a number of somewhat different reasons. Yeah. it's So I'm curious about what you enjoyed about that position. And, and just to give you some context into where I'm going with this next question after that is following along with the tagline that you've got on LinkedIn as a recovering CRO, which of course I'm sure uh, influenced heavily the, the rep view vision. But you know what was it about building and scaling that sales organization that, that you loved? Yeah, that, no, it's a good question. And, and I get asked a lot about the recovering CRO role. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really think much of it at the time. I was just like, yeah, recovering CRO. When, when I was selling very early in my career as an individual contributor, and I, I talk a lot about in, in sales strategy talks and whatnot, that good salespeople often and good sales managers often are good at balancing the art and the science of selling, right? And what I mean by that is the art is, you know, going into a meeting and going into a room with uh, other people and, and, effectively communicating value to their challenges and you know just just the 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 art of it and the and the ability to communicate like that's all and I I love doing that and then but but actually I probably as I got into management and 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 I started taking on some teams that were doing even some smaller average deal sizes like 10k 20k Mm. you get into the science of selling right like how do you how do you put a Henry Ford system on five reps on 50 reps on 100 reps and and I'm you know I'm kind of a math a data person, a numbers person as well, even though I enjoyed selling and I, I was pretty good at it. At least I thought I, I told myself I was. And so I just, I just love that. And that transition for me. So, so I was, I was able to do the, the art piece earlier in my career. And then the science piece came very, very naturally. It's like, you know, you have a set of SDRs. We had SDRs pretty early on 08, 09. Um, we were building out SDR teams and, 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 and just the metrics of it all and the numbers and balancing the art and the science. And ultimately what I, what I found as I progressed in my career was I enjoy enabling people to succeed, right? Like, and, and, and even as a CRO of a company of the size that we were, when I left maybe 800 people, you can do that at a moderate scale, right? But not at a huge scale, right? Like dozens of people, you're like making a huge impact on dozens of people, maybe a hundred people or more, but how do you, how do you, and rep, part of RepView is like, I love the fact that we're able to, not on as much of a personal level, but enable people in a small way to succeed in their careers by ensuring that they're in a role that's right for them. So, so my career, I, you know, I kind of put it, I divided into those two parts of art early, science later, and the recovering CRO piece is, uh, it's hard, right? Like it's it, it, like being in sales is hard in general. Like, you know, part of your, a large part of your compensation is tied to how you perform, right? 
the stress of it, the quarter, hey, guess what? The quarter ended. Congrats. Guess what? The new quarter starts. Good luck. You know, it's like it's a today game. You're in the today business. The button is reset. It's very difficult, right? And, and people, you know, the, the higher up you get, the harder it is from a, from a stress perspective. And, you know, so, so it just felt, felt kind of appropriate, like recovering CRO. Although if I take another CRO role ever in my career, I'll have to remove that. And, you know, I've relapsed at that. I will, I will have relapsed at that point. And that would be a, maybe a bad thing. I'm not well, sure. We have, we have mental health on the list of possible things to talk about. And yeah. that, and, and I mentioned that because some, sometimes relapses happen and, you know, this is a judgment-free zone. So if you do ever relapse, you'll, I'll be supporting you no matter what your tagline is on, we can on still LinkedIn. Talk. Yeah, <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so funny though, that you, you like the way that you describe the art and the science, because I kind of think of it in the opposite, right? That there, well, one, we're in complete agreement that there is an art and a science to everything. And as someone that's now, or at least shifted away from selling and to sales enablement about six years ago, I, I think about helping reps establish the, the fundamentals, right? So the science of executing on what they're doing. And then once you understand the, the principles and the fundamentals, like that's where really the, the art comes in, but it's, there are so many additional like context items or complexity to, you know, executing it in that in, in particular, the way that you described it with a startup as one of the first employees, right? I, I would assume that there wasn't a great deal of training material or onboarding or content there for you. So you kind of had none. to yeah, kind of figure none. it there out as you go. There was none. And so I think what, for me, it's a good point you make. I mean, for me, the, the art piece just kind of came naturally, right? And the science, like you, you, you kind of have to learn that and figure it out over time, right? I was comfortable because I knew our product so well, I was comfortable conveying how it can help you, right? But I wasn't comfortable like on day one, figuring out like, well, how many calls do I need to make today, right? Or, right. or you know, like which, 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 you know, cities should I focus on or what, you know, any of that, none of that. We had no structure, right? None at all. Or, what should I do with this Salesforce thing that we had? We got Salesforce in like 2001, wow. maybe 2000. Wow. Um, okay. Classic. Yeah. Like truly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very classic. Yeah. But, That's but, so funny. Oh my but, gosh. So you're, but, but I think you're, the point is that you're making like this, maybe this, you, you, you figure out the science and then you, you layer the art on top of it is I would, I would probably agree with that. Just the way that it ended up working out for me was the opposite. Yeah, you know, it's sometimes I think that we as a profession have done ourselves a tremendous disservice with all of these turnkey dashboards. And don't get me wrong, I love data and I love using data to not only help inform the decisions that I need to make, but also, you know, as someone that sold information at an enterprise level, you have to be able to demonstrate the, the value on the superior aspect of those business decisions with better information that's available to more people. When I stopped selling or when I, my last year carrying a bag at Thomson Reuters, the first thing that I did was made a beeline for process improvement training certification. And mm -hmm. when you get into it, um, there's a lot of, I mean, when you're talking about like Six Sigma black belts, like these, I, I envision these humans as, you know, calculating like standard deviation, uh, you know, on a pad of paper for breakfast. So it's not like that. Mm -hmm. However, there is a lot of statistics involved. And what I realized was that I had been doing the math in my head the whole time. And I didn't understand really the principles or what was happening because I actually had tested out of math in, in college. And so really hadn't taken a math course since I was 18 years old. And, mm -hmm. you know, but I will say that I did have wall selling, and it was always at the forefront of my mind, was Pareto's principle. This idea that you're going to get 80% of your results from 20% of your activities. And so I was very focused on, one, experimenting with a lot of different tactics to generate results, but then tracking, right, which one of these tactics are producing my, my 80% results. So I used to call them 20 percenters and 
It's actually one of my favorite things to make sure that reps, new humans entering the profession are aware of, right? Just the 80-20 rule, the Pareto's principle. And again, this is where I think the disservice with Insight Squared or right any kind of turnkey dashboards is that we are we have forgotten some of the like basic principles to understand like okay just tracking your activity linking your activity to re- to those results and then understanding um, which activities you're doing so that you can you know double triple quadruple down on on those things yeah yeah no it makes sense we have but we have a a highly relevant example of that with with our current business now refuge we have a one of my team members he reaches out to people on linkedin all day he's like hey this is our mission are you interested in doing it and so we start with well start with salespeople. okay well that worked at here with five percent conversion rate well let's look at those people well they've only been there at their job less than three years okay 15 percent conversion rate well they're in a tech startup role right or they're they're this stage of their career constant re- refining right as this and then you how you apply that as a sales professional which is pretty easy which is like all right well who, and, and this is a lot of marketing too. Like what, what is the job of the, you know, the ideal customer profile, the, you know, the, you know, your, your, your target customer profile in broadly, and then the ideal customer profile and narrowing and narrowing and narrowing all the way down to very specific pain points, right? If you can find somebody with that very specific pain point, you can identify 10 of those, the close rates, 80%. Whereas if you just shotgun your close rates, 15%, precisely, right? So precisely. I would subscribe to that. It's funny because that was one of the things when, so I was a a guest on the fabulous five on Friday and the topic for the day was, you know, it was a a young woman that was just getting started in tech sales. She was in SDR at Sumo Logic. And I had kind of tossed out the question, right? If you had to choose what was, what's the one skill that you need to, you know, focus on right now at this stage in, in your career? Right, because we're not trying to boil the ocean, and and we want to break down those those skills that we're going to you know teach ourselves or acquire for ourselves one at a time, and and she took a, a great stab at it, and it was um it it was a fantastic answer. But then when we got into it, it we shared or I shared the exact thing that I just said, and uh, there have been like five or six people that I guess have watched that episode and have messaged me saying. I, I didn't know this about Pareto's principle, and this is the exact thing that I'm going to start working on, on right now. Mm-hmm. And so part of me is very excited about that and pleased to be able to bring value. But the other part is like, what are we teaching these new reps when they get started? Right. And that right. I think is a pretty solid transition, sir, into, um, I, I mean, we can go in a bunch of different ways, but one of the things as it relates to refuge that really stood out even before you and I had first connected was this idea of driving more accountability for the culture at the leadership level that you're, you're creating. And, um, I, you know, obviously I think there's a great deal of, of, you know, room for improvement there, but and frankly, you're, you're leading the charge, in my opinion, across the, the profession, right? The individual that's doing the most to, to work, um, to level up again as a profession. But I mean, what, what say you, like what, what's your current take yeah. on the way that we are, I don't know, just, I guess, growing humans right along with, with the revenue. Yeah. It's, it's hard and we, we have, so yes, in Repu, what we're doing is highly focused on tech, right? To start, we're, we're, we're getting into some other areas, you know, we likely want to get into med device later this year and some other areas, but that's, my background is tech, my background is software. Um, and, and you hear other stories, there's so much dry powder out there from venture capital. And it's like, well, then that powder gets deployed and it's grow, 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 grow. And there, there's, there's so many downstream effects of that, right? And, and, and they impact people, right? Most, most specifically, right? The, the, the percent of team hitting quota is, you know, the percent of people that hit quota is 42%, right? It, sh- it should be higher than that, right? right? And, and, and then you, you mentioned mental health earlier, like, well, that, that plays a big deal in it, right? Like you're just not winning, you're losing, you're not winning. And then you throw the pandemic on top of that. It's a whole nother topic in general, of course, but 
you know, wh what that also does is it, it forces companies not just to grow, but to grow leadership. Okay. And, and, and it's highly competitive and there's not a lot of people that have a lot of experience leading these larger tech sales orgs. And so let's promote, you know, so-and-so was a great rep. Now they're the manager. So-and-so did a pretty good job as a manager. They're the director, et cetera, et cetera. And, 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 and they, they're not inherently bad people. They're inherently put in a place that they're not set up to succeed. And so what we're, you know, and, and we see that time and time again, and it's frustrating because, you know, when you say, oh, you look at our website and you look at a company like Salesforce, oh, they're, they're rated really highly. Okay, well, let me tell you why they're rated really mm -hmm. highly. They're rated really highly because they have billions of dollars to throw at ex highly experienced leaders that have a very well built out playbook and they've managed thousands of people before. Mm -hmm. And then you have maybe a smaller company that doesn't have the resources that's get this VP in and you, you, you read all the stories, the VP tenures, 18 months, 14 months, whatever it is. And, and that is such a huge role in it too. Continu lack of continu continuity of leadership. But at the end of the day, the company is ultimately responsible for the environment that they have, right? And so, you know, there are many, many reasons why 42%, only 42% of the people are hitting. Our mission and my mission is to highlight the ones that are doing really well for they can understand, like, this would be a great place to work. And our, our mission is not to disparage companies that aren't doing it well. Our mission is to provide transparency so that maybe they can do a better job, right? People ask me what do you say to the company that's got a really bad score, right? My first response is do better, right? Yeah. Like get better, yeah. right? And then it's like, well, let's, let's look at why that is. Right. Like, why is that? What's, what's happening? So you kind of, your question was like, what's your take? My take is that there, first of all, my, my take is that it's really hard. It's hard to build and scale a, a sales organization. And there's not a lot of people that have done it um, successfully and experienced doing it successfully. People that have not done it successfully in the past can do it successfully, but it's just really hard. Um, and so having that experience really, really helps. And, um, and so, so my take is that it, it, it's, it's, my take is that it's hurting the people that it's hurting the most, like the grow at all costs back to that kind of VC fueled uh, environment. It's hurting the frontline individual contributor account executives who are viewed as uh, just cogs in a wheel, right? They, they're, they're expendable and they're viewed as, you know, a line in a spreadsheet. And, and, and you know, may, in many cases, they, they could be successful if the environment was better, right? And, you know, and certainly people need to do their, they need to pull their weight too and do their part too. It's not always all in the company, but um, that, that's one of the things that I've seen over and over and over again in companies, uh, over the last few years. So I, I want to touch on something that you said about like the mission of RepView, and that is not to disparage. However, it's more about highlighting organizations that, that are doing it well. And I, I think that that's a beautiful sentiment because, well, one for a bunch of reasons, but like at a basic level, really there's, there's only two reasons why people change, right? And it's the pursuit of pleasure or to flee from pain, right? So the, the carrot or the stick. And I, I personally also, I prefer carrot motivators all day, every day. And, but more importantly, highlighting bright spots and mm -hmm. at like injecting transparency into those bright spots so that others can see like the, the precedent um, before them is, is one of the most effective ways to drive change at, at scale. And it reminds mm -hmm. me, did you, did you ever read I think it was the Heath brothers that wrote uh, Made to Stick. Have you read that one? I don't think so. Okay, so there was a, I, there was a story that they told in there and, and it's really just stuck with me, but it was about like these two guys. So the, the problem um, was uh, mortal, childhood mortality rates in rural India, okay? And they were really bad. And so there were like humanitarians and this is going back like 20, 25 years, maybe even more now, but there were... Um, he like tons of humanitarians that were looking at the numbers and were, were flooding to India to try to kind of move the needle on, you know, less children dying and nothing was working, right? Nothing was working until finally these two, bro I think, no, I don't know. Two guys went in and instead of trying to bring in a solution from outside India, what they did was they observed really um, villages that had above average um, survival rates. 
And what they found was that all of the families in these villages were pooling resources for food and cooking together and then feeding children in a more like inclusive and holistic way. And so anyway, what, what they then did was to take this bright spot already occurring inside India in rural um, villages, and they socialized it across the country. And so they did not experience nearly as much resistance, right, as outsiders coming in with an outside solution. And so I just, I love that idea of, of highlighting really what's working. But I, I think that it, it's, so I'm with you about the, the cog thing and also, you know, venture capitalists having all of us chase after unicorns, um, which is just obscene amounts of growth in very short periods of time, which I, I think we're starting to see that shift a little bit because obviously top line revenue is not, it's not the only way. And that again, <laughs> It's probably going to go slowly, but at least people are talking about the downstream effects um, of the human beings that are being burned through. And, and I'm talking about both air quotes around underperformers and top performers alike, because it's, it is very, very, very stressful. And especially like I think in, in Western societies, we tend to define success as something that's based on an outcome, right? If I you know, get this job, if I get married, if I buy a house, then I'll be happy. And so when you think about that and how that relates to selling, we never have, I mean, if you hit your quota for the month or the quarter, what do you have like a weekend to enjoy it? And then it starts all over again. And so I think part of the imperative or part of the, the work that needs to happen on these sales floors is to help reps understand and appreciate like the process where in my opinion, there's a tremendous amount of, of joy to be found, but it's very, very, very difficult to do when the culture isn't, isn't aligned. You know, it reminds me of the, I think it was Google's project oxygen that they came out with the, the eight or 10 characteristics that make out great managers. Mm -hmm. One of the characteristics was technical acumen one of one of eight, right? And it was a lower value one as well. But when I look at what's happening um, and the way that we promote managers, right? These are individuals that have the technical acumen to sell. And then there's very rarely any kind of like training program for new managers. And, you know, all these other factors like psychological safety for, for one, you know, it's just, it's not even on the radar of most, sales organizations. Again, I'm, I, I'm hopeful because I think with COVID that has expedited the pace of change with the digital transformations. And I do think that that will help to help those that leaders that are really looking to level up or change the culture for the better. I, I think that we're going to start to see I guess talent flock more to those places. And I, I hate to say it and I don't mean to disparage, but you know, I based on what I know about history or evolution, those that do not adapt uh, will eventually die out. And I used to carry the the harm that I saw around like really deeply, like that it hurt me to be a part of sometimes of these conversations. I, I don't know. I, I'm feeling less sad about it these days. And I think RepView is a massive part of that, Ryan, massive part of it. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. And I think um, you, one point you made, it's kind of like the rich get richer sort of thing, right? In terms of companies that are doing it the right way. And that that's good for them, obviously, but it's also problematic for, yeah, it, it's RepView is also it's information age, right? There, there. You, you get information about anything these days, right? Now, getting information about a place you want to go sell for has been a little bit opaque, and hopefully, we can fill that void. But think about it in your life. You can get, you know, you're gonna buy a toaster, right? You go to Amazon. There's 80 toasters, and they all have a million reviews each, right? There's, there's a, a, so much information, and I think that if you, if you're not a top performing organization, be it sales or be it any part of the organization you are at risk, right? And I think that you're going to see, you know, there's going to be a, a further bifurcation of 
successful companies that at the top and and it's a real it's a real risk to to because there's only so many seats at that table right and then so then is 42 percent of people hitting quotas is that going to drop to 30 percent because if you're not at this company you know then then you're not going to stand a chance right it's a it's a risk you know but i i talk to sales leaders on a very regular basis who are not at those top you know who have a lower not a great score and that want to do better, right? They want that. They don't want to be like, screw this guy. You know, he's you know trying to disparage us or this that. No, 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 no. We're, I would love nothing more than to work with them to up level their environment, be it structure, process, or just just with data to tell them where they need to improve and and show their people that their voice is cared for. Um, you know, so it's a you know it's a, it's a risk. like I I want to lean into that and I want I'm. I want to celebrate these conversations, obviously, that, that you're having with these individuals that have at least awareness and a desire to, to do something better. However, you know, I think of all of the companies that, you know, fell all over themselves to make some sort of like public announcement denouncing racism right after George Floyd um, last summer. And then when I look at these... <laughs> When you look at some of the the actions or actually lack thereof that have taken place since these sweeping, you know, statements, feel good statements, it's I what do they say? Talk is sheep. And yeah. you know, like it as it relates even to like uncomfortable conversations, it's I think of the individual contributors, the front lines at the the places where these sales leaders that you're you're speaking of or referencing that are actually living um, and dealing with the downsides of having a I don't want to use the word toxic, but I think it's a, a pretty safe word in in many instances that are just dealing and operating in a toxic culture or with maybe a, a manager that has never been trained on yep. how to coach an individual or how to coach a team. And so like how, what would you say to those individuals maybe that don't necessarily have the ability to, you know, switch jobs or leave right now? Like how do you start these conversations as a, as an insider, I guess you could say with your boss um, or your boss's boss in a manner that yeah. like actually works? Yeah, it's hard. Right. You're asking, like, and I've been on both sides of that, right? I've been the manager many times where somebody's coming with their challenges, right? We ran sales orders, never perfect, right? We have problems. And I think that managers sometimes will label somebody a complainer right off the bat, right? Oh, that's a complainer, right? That's a complainer, right? So how do you avoid, how do you avoid that while getting the message across, right? And I always tell people like, look, just, you know, first of all, try to keep emotion out of it, right? It's the job you know, you can change jobs right now, right now. Yeah. Are there less companies hiring? Maybe, but I, I'm, I can tell you that there are a lot more are starting to open that back up significantly, you know, over the last month or two and 2021 is going to see a massive set of transitions of job transitions. Right. So, so that is opening back up, you know, and, and think back to why you started at that job. Why did you pick that job in the first place? Right. Why did you start at that? What were the things that you liked? The two things usually happen at that point when when you talk about why you because I always like to ask people why why'd you go there right and 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 you know one of the things I talk to people about to, it, w getting a job is not winning a competition okay like you you shouldn't be trying to win anything you should be trying to determine this is a place where you can spend eight hours whatever hours a day for the next five years of your life with these people in this environment maybe selling this product like why did you choose that right and then well because of this and this and this is what I, you know, why I made the decision. Are those things true? First of all, are those things true? Because one of the things is like, they're not true. Like, well, why did you think they were true? Because they told me they were true. Well, did they tell you misinformation, right? Okay, so that's a problem, right? So then you have to file that away. But if, if, if those things have changed, have those things changed? Are they, are they true? Or are they not true? Why did you choose that place? Do they still exist? Or have you determined that other things are more important to you in your career, right? And, and, and so, I think you kind of ask a question like, how do you, how do you deal with, how do you give feedback, right? You have to give feedback, right? You have to say this. And in sales, I typically recommend giving the feedback as, hey, this is where I want to be. This is where I am now. This is where I want to be. 
here are the things that I think are preventing me from getting there, right? These three things are preventing me from getting there. What are some of those potential things, right? Like, well, you can be metrics-based, right? And if you are, have your numbers right. Be straight on your numbers, right? Like, if did you make enough calls? Okay, good. We'll make sure you did. Or it's like, you know, the, the product I thought was this and this and this, but now it's not. Or, you know, whatever those, these are the three things. And you can say, here's what I'm doing to resolve those three things as a person, like personally, like, here's what I'm doing. And to your manager, you say, here's where I need your help. Like as a team approach, right? Here are the things that are stopping me from getting there. Here's what I'm going to do to close that gap. And here's where I need your support. And like, then you, you kind of step back and look at that. How, are those feasible? Like, can this manager even deliver? Is it even possible, right, to, to deliver those things? And I mean, everything's got to be open and transparent. We're all about transparency, but everything, you guys just have to have the conversations, right? Have the conversation. If you're a manager, have the conversation. Like I, people ask me like, well, about performance improvement plans a lot. Like mm -hmm. if you ever put somebody on a performance improvement plan, it should be the least surprising conversation that that person has ever had. You should be giving direct feedback throughout. Like that's just, you know, you're just formalizing what they already knew. Like you need to be giving to the whole, and, and I think part of, part of the, the sales manager rep issue is a lack of communication. And it happens like, oh, the manager and the rep are friends. So they communicate all the time regularly. Like, like that's the worst thing that can be. First of all, you, you have to separate that friendship thing. And if you're not like you, you still need to communicate effectively two ways up and down. So that's, that's, you know, how I think about if, if you can't stay, well, first of all, anybody can change jobs. You can try and get a new job. You might not be in a position to just walk out from a financial standpoint. You, you might need that base salary. And if you can't afford to walk out and it's just highly toxic, do it. You get another job. I'm telling you right now, the, the, particularly in technology, the jobs are starting to open back up significantly. And it's going to be a candidate's market in, in, in the next few years. Okay, so it's interesting about the um, what you said about the PIP plans because, you know, one of the things that I one of the first things that I generally do in like a sales enablement capacity is to uh, implement a framework where I, well, so one I. <laughs> I define, I don't consider my job done until, and whatever the new skill or knowledge is, is retained at least at an 80% level. And so one of the ways that I control for that is I understand some of the behaviors that happen after new content or new like program is rolled out that represent someone that is applying effort to learn something new. And so I, I used to call them style guides. It's uh, they're essentially, it's just a branded like playbook, but how to execute with style. But anyway, I would, uh, in symbol, like in G suite with the activity dashboard, you can, I would track, right. How quickly reps would access or open these style guides and then how frequently they would open them, of course, and then building in the additional touch points with the team weekly meeting and also one-on-one uh, -on -one with the managers just to kind of reinforce over the course of like three weeks or a month. But anyway, I mentioned that because I think that there's a big difference between reps that are applying effort to change and, and develop their skills and get better versus those that aren't. And it's very simple to track or differentiate those things. And that's just, it's not something that um, I see very often out there. And I, I'm not necessarily trying to take on like, let's, you know, revamp or redesign the entire PIP program, but like just at a fundamental basic human level, are we even looking at or tracking the difference? Again, someone that is trying and those that are not. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but when you were talking about, well, one, when you were talking about how reps can, you know, have these conversations, difficult conversations, uncomfortable conversations, um, and starting with like, here's what I'm doing, which I thought was exceptional listeners. Here's what I'm doing. Perfect. But the thing is like, at least for newer reps, or maybe those that are not as accustomed to the workforce yet, or haven't been in many places, you know, I just see a lot of, they don't know what they're missing. Like they don't know what a great coach feels like. They don't know, you know, kind of 
again, what they're missing. But then the second point is, what if one of the top things on, on your list of like, here's what I need you to do is, you know, obviously you would phrase it differently, but I need more coaching. You know, I need more real-time feedback. I need more observation. Like when you listen to a call that happened like three weeks ago, two weeks ago, one week ago, right. I've already iterated on that. And so, you know, what do you do? That's, that's a, that's a, a great, like part of the equation of deciding, is this place a great fit for me long-term, which is you've communicated where I, where you need help, right? Like I need help with this and this and this, I need coach, like, I, I do calls, right? And, and some, you can figure some of this out with your, what we talked about earlier, your metrics, right? Well, I'm making enough dials or I'm having enough calls, but then my conversion rate is lower than the average, right? Okay, well, why is it? Well, what are you saying? And there's technologies, right? Out the gongs and those sorts of things as well that are, that are um, I think, valuable. Like, I think those are good applications. But at the end of the day, like, you know, your manager, they're going to just listen in. Are they able to effectively, like, can they improve? Like, I need help, like leveling up my message. Like, and, and if, or whatever the feedback right. is, I need help with X, Y, and Z. Right. right. And if X, Y, and Z are things that are reasonably under the control of the manager and they're not going to do that, then that's, then, then to your point, like that's, they're in a situation that's not going to really enhance their career. And then you also have to look, honestly, you have to look, and I, I think I did a LinkedIn post on this recently, which is if you have a really bad manager, is, is somebody asked me a question, right? You actually, if it, unless it's like a huge org where there's like a few bad managers here and there, like if you have a really bad manager in a reasonable size org, like it's not a good sales org, right? Like good sales leaders don't employ for extended periods of time, really bad managers. So you need to look up a level and realize like, why is this person, like how are they able to exist in this framework where they're not enabling the success of, of five, eight, 12 people that could have a huge impact on the business. And then you look upward and say, all right, you know, that's, you know, because people ask me all the time, I looked at Repu and you can't rate your manager. Like we don't, we're not in the business of rating people, first of all, right? Yeah, like, yeah. And that changes all the time. And I'm like, right. if you have a really horrible manager, that's a, that's the culture of the organization is such that that manager is able to retain a position for an extended period of time. And so that's that, when I, when people ask me about bad manager, bad manager, I'm like, it's a, it's a symptom. And, and you know, that bad manager may have just never been trained right. by the bad upper level leadership. They may be the person that was a good sales rep and they said, Hey, you want to be the manager because you're doing a good job and, and we need to grow. And the VC money just came in and we need eight more managers, you know? So, so I think the, the manager is, is just a symptom of the organization. And, and I, I'm sure I've had bad managers on my team and I'd like to think that, you know, we made changes mm -hmm. like, and, and nobody can hire perfectly. Right. So. Um, yeah, that's kind of how I think about it. Well, you know what, Ryan, if anybody is possible of being perfect, like I, you're on that level pedestal for me. So just so you know, don't, no, don't mess up because I'm going to be really mad and disappointed but because you're a human don't being. Don't ask around too much. Don't ask around oh too much. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah, no, we, I joke, we joked about this before, but like, I, you know what, if I'm being honest, like I started this podcast because I wanted to understand the nature of uncomfortable conversations really for myself. And obviously, you know, it's great to have wins and celebrate wins. And, you know, I've got a couple of them, which I'm, I'm grateful for, but I also have made a ton of mistakes. What, what I think though, is that mistakes are, that's where people learn really. Nobody's really learning from like their major, major wins. It's, it's those, those mistakes. Yeah. Um, that said, I would love to hear about some of the experiences or conversations that you've had as a tech startup CEO and founder that has, you know, done a pretty phenomenal job of, of growing the organization in the first three years. And when I look at, and when I use Repu, I, I can see it developing even in the past couple of months. But I, I also have done a lot of work with, with startups. And so I, I, I know that there's a lot of kind of decisions and choices and conversations that have to happen in order to kind of get those results that you're already putting on the board. And so if you wouldn't mind kind of giving us a little bit of insight into some of the harder conversations that you've had to have as a, as a founder. 
Yeah, it's it's a. I mean, we're we're a very small team, right? So, first of all, when I think about conversations that I have, like first of all, most of my conversations are with salespeople, right? <laughs> just all day, every day, and it's and, and the goal is number one, evangelize our mission, and number two, drive people to engage with us, and then number three, get their feedback, not just on what we're doing at Repview, but just feedback in general, because it helps us define how we need to be able to help and support people. Our our company is a is a tough bit. It's a hard business to build because what we're known, if you're in tech speak, it's like a two-sided marketplace, right? Which is we have all the value that we drive across our platform to users, to potential employers is based on the data set, right? We need more data. We need data. We need lots of data. We've got a lot of data. We're, we need more. And so, so we're constantly balancing where do we put our limited resources to drive that data, but then balance that with starting to engage with employers. So we're, we're essentially building three applications at once, which is repview.com and then uh, employer.repview.com, which, which is a platform that employers can leverage to, to gain insights about what we talked about earlier. What, what am I doing well? Where am I not doing well? How do I need to, to, how do I need to improve? And then our, all of our admin, our backend tools as well. So conversations that, so first of all, conversations that I have are focused on in two areas, in, uh, sales professionals on the one side, and, and those are all very positive. And then employers, we, per, we purposely started engaging with employers in January, and I'll, I'll give you a, a insight into who we decided to engage with. And it was, okay, let's, let's focus on a certain size, kind of, we don't want the huge ones, we don't want startups necessarily. So it's kind of this middle. And then let's pick a certain score and up only. Right. And that doesn't mean we don't want to help these companies with improving. But it, what it means is that it's an easier conversation. Right. It's it like, hey, and hey, leverage your brand, like leverage this positive sales talent brand. And, and by the way, salespeople care about stuff that other employees don't like. It's, it's not the same thing. People talk about your employer brand. Right. And I, we rolled out video, the ability to put a video on your page. And I had a couple employers send me video. And I'm like, this is, you know, you know, this is not exactly what we need. Like salespeople don't care about all this stuff. This is what they care about. But a funny story conversation, I had an, an inbound employer came in and they were rated really, really low. And I was like, all right, well, this could go any number of different ways. I'm going to be prepared. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to be prepared to get yelled at right. and hung up this on, but I'm going to take good. this call. Because, yeah. yeah. What, is, Wait, and, what and kind I of qualifications just, you know, do you have for your, your right, scoring system? Right. <laughs> we're the messenger, yeah, you know, yeah. we're, we're, we are the messenger. Yeah. Right. And, but anyways, the, the, the conversation was really interesting because I took the approach of this is what we're doing. Okay. This is where the data comes from. And we verify our ratings, by the way, that'll be published soon on our site. Um, I think that was one of the first questions I have for you was like, what's the verification process? And it was very, very, very strong, very strong. So I'm joking with Ryan, everyone, but the verifications are untouchable. Please continue, sir. Yeah. No, so so the conversation was basically this is what we're doing. This is where the data comes from. This is these are your scores, and this is what we're doing with them. And essentially, you know, almost from a case study standpoint, my feedback was like, I'd love nothing more than to work with you. And and I said, tell me about your sales org. Tell me about tell me your story. Like, what do you? And we're this, and we're this, and we're this, and this, and this, and private equity, this, and you know. And so I get it, right? Like I like I know the chat. Like so, it starts with let's figure out who you should be hiring, right? Like, are the, you know, the, like some of these companies, like you just a slight, a slight miss on your hiring profile breeds a lot of discontentment with people, right? Because you just slightly, and a slight miss on that and a slight miss on expectations, right? Like, you know, you struggle here and here and here, right? Like, we know that, mm -hmm. like, don't gloss over yeah. that, like be upfront. Yeah. There's people that can deal with right. that because you are maybe a little stronger in these two areas. Right but it's maybe not the right people that you're hiring. And so let's, you know, let's figure that out. So it's a really interesting conversation. We're still not like purposely going to go target all the lower rank companies just based on one <laughs> recent interesting conversation. But, um, you know, that, that's what we deal with, right? right? We do like people, and it goes back to what you said earlier, like what if people, what if, what if, what if you tell people who are not happy with their refuse score? I'm like, well, I don't, I don't, I try not to talk to them too often. I try to talk to the people that have, have great scores, but then we tell them like, here's how you can do better. Here's how you can improve. Yeah. And I, we're happy to play a role in that if, if they want, if not, that's fine too. Oh my gosh. I mean, we're at time, but I'm, have, have we ever spoken about Viewable, which was the pla the pass platform as a service tool that I was uh, at that got acquired. Have we ever talked about this? I think 
I don't know if we did. Okay. So it was a a dual-sided market. And so they, we were tapping into um, billing systems and on like the law firm side and aggregating all the matter data um, in real time for corporate legal buyers, which they loved, right? So all the legal ops teams and whatever they could see at an enterprise level, all of the work that was currently being done at all of their outside counsel firms, percentage to completion, at, you know, being able to compare um, apples to apples. But anyway, this con- the whole thing just petrified law firms, petrified, because you think about the data integrity on really unscrubbed time entry data. And so there was a big piece of the onboarding for half of the platform to really just reduce some of the fear that comes along with, with uh, like that level of transparency. Mm-hmm. And so I feel you pretty, pretty hard there, pretty hard there. Yeah. Um, but they call, I acquired the nickname, the law firm whisperer. So that was yeah. there. It had a happy ending. I think we, we, the revenue grew like by 450% during my time and it was a strong acquisition. But anyway, I feel you hard on some of the scary aspects uh, of the data as it relates to growing a a dual-sided platform for sure, for sure. All right. So we are almost, we're at time here, but Ryan Walsh, if you were to give our listeners one piece of advice about how to maybe approach some of the uncomfortable conversations that they know they need to have or are thinking about having, like, what, what would you, what would you say? Well, first of all, do it right. I mean, cause you spend all this time thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. Right. That's, and that's part of the, I think that the number one problem with a lot of things like, you know, bias towards action, right? Like you've heard it a hundred times. Everybody's heard it a hundred times, like bias towards action. And then the other piece is just be honest, right? Like what, whether it's a certain way that you feel about some situation or a certain impact that something is having on you to the extent that you're able to disclose that, make, you know, I think both parties and uncomfortable and hard conversations, whether it's business or anything related, like you just do so much better if there's an ability for person A to to kind of feel what it's like to be in person B's shoes, right? Like just, and, and you can't have that without a layer of, of honesty and transparency as to, you know, what is the situation? Look, here's how the situation is impacting me, this hard, com- you know, whatever it is, whether it's I'm a manager talking about lack of performance or whether it's I'm a performer talking about lack of direction or coaching or whatever, like how is that impacting you? Here's the, here's the impact this is having on me and this is how it will impact, this is what, you know, and it's almost the same as sales, right? This is what the ideal looks like. Like this, if, if, if this was better, this is what it would look like. But, you know, I think people just have a, and it's part of the society we live in, like there's this hesitancy just to even have hard conversations from both sides. And I think in my career, right? Like I've had some hard conversations and some ones that I didn't particularly want to have, but then after, almost without fail and you probably feel the same way after you do it you're like man god i wish i hadn't put that off man you know what why did i put that off for for x number of days or weeks i knew i was going to do it anyways like just just do it just get it put on the schedule yeah get it done make it i love it it. i love it that that was a perfect perfect way to to end here today just get just do it okay ryan so everybody you can i'm i'm gonna just come toss out there if you haven't seen rep view yet i would highly encourage you to check it out that's r-e-p-v-u-e.com um and if you want to like see the really good stuff all the data you all you have to do is submit a, a rating or is it ranking or rating Rating, rating yeah. submit a rating for um, one of, or two of the past organizations that you've been at and, and the keys to the kingdom become yours. But other than that, yeah. Ryan Walsh, how can, how can everybody find you? Yeah, that's it. No, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm pretty accessible. The easiest way is LinkedIn. I'm on, I'm on a number of various sales communities and whatnot, but yeah, sometimes there's too many to keep up with. So easiest way is LinkedIn. Okay, perfect. Um, you can find me on you can find me on LinkedIn, and and I generally respond same day to most messages I get on LinkedIn. If you want to send me a connection request, feel free. Um, Repview is thank you for spelling it right. Some people are, <laughs> get confused. Are it's not French, but it's uh, R E P V U E. 
takes two minutes. It's anonymous and yeah. Yeah, it's reach absolutely. Out and, and the data, I mean, it really is exceptional the way that you have it structured. And I mean, I've, I've learned new things about how to kind of qualify um, organizations and, and culture just based on just the quality that you see once you do submit that that rating. So again, repvue.com and Ryan Walsh, W-A-L-S-H. Ryan, thank you very much for joining us today, sir. And I can't wait till our next conversation. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Pleasure as always. And to our listeners, truth, love, and joy, friends, happy selling. Okay, hold on, let me stop this here. Whew, man, that was heavy. But necessary, you know, important, important stuff being thrown around. Virtues that we as humans can can build a sturdy foundation on. I heard words like trust. I heard words like action. I heard words like consistency. And uh, I think this is important, you know. But I, I also live in the real world, right? Where I trust that the action Amy didn't take was to consistently feed the dog or file her legal disclaimer paperwork from all the unnecessary risk she takes on a weekly basis. Karen is going to be pissed. Karen! This podcast will very likely include ideas that are controversial and as such, depending on where you sit and what your position is, may be slightly triggering. Just a note for sponsors from Karen and Pete down in legal. We are anxious to receive your call. And if you are looking to help or join the cause or create change in a positive way, please reach out to anyone but me because I have enough to do. And Amy will definitely be interested in taking your money to help more people, which is what we do here. You know, stuff, legal stuff. If you like what you're hearing or are excited for like this shit show and where it's going to go, definitely follow us on, you know, whatever podcast device is your preference, even though I, I seriously have a hard time identifying with anything non-Spotify, but you know, I guess I'll, I'll come to terms with that. Sure. We're helping all these people, but did you, did you feed the dog? Did you, did you remember to feed the dog? Is there going to be another Chinese food incident? Is there? Order the dog food, Amy. Order it. Chewy.com. Possible sponsor. I still can't believe people listen to shit I say. But, like, there, there's certainly a kernel of truth somewhere in there. But I truly, truly appreciate anyone brave enough to, you know, listen in early. I don't know shit about sales, but as I understand it, she's pretty good with buyers and sponsorship partners. At least that's what I've been told from Bernadette, Karen's sister in accounting. So if you're interested in supporting the cause, email Amy at Revenue Real. All right, friends. So the only way this works as a hotline is if we find some people to come play. Anybody who's interested or brave enough or desperate enough, because let's be serious, like that's that's where it's at. Everything you need to know is in the show notes. Come on. Yeah, call absolutely. Call in. Don't have enough to do? You want a couple of books to read? Amy can boss you around for a couple hours? Sounds like, yeah, please, by all means, call. Ruin a perfectly good Sunday. I understand that I should do a better job of paying attention to the law and, like, filing paperwork, but we're fucking creating art here, Pete. Karen! Sure, drawing attention to mistakes is great and also necessary, but at the same time, we're talking about a woman who attempted to soften a pedicure with a belt sander in high school to the demise of her own person. Belt sander to the foot. That was a thing. That happened. <laughs> Pete, I can't believe you just told everybody about the belt sander. I, I mean, can't we work them into it a little bit? I already disclosed that like nobody's made more mistakes than me, and that's why I got 
Uh, no problem going first, but that one, that I feel like that's at least for season two, a, a disclosure. Same thing with the Chinese food. And it was only one time, okay, it was the chicken and broccoli, just the chicken with the white sauce and some white rice. <laughs> you know, like, what, what, what do you want from me? <laughs> Lola. Do you even know where Lola is? Has she been fed? I'll feed her. It's fine. Lola! There she is. Hi, Lola. Do you want a treat? Has your mommy pet you today? There is no nice way for a woman to yell like, Karen! There's such a thing as gender coding. Also known as the double bind. I don't know about you listeners, but I enjoy my podcast on Stitcher. Um, I mean, I don't have a premium account because I'm holding out for sponsorship. Hey, Stitcher, looking at you. Um, Also, I believe we mentioned Chewy, so there will be a link to them in the show notes, even though we are not sponsored by them. And I bought my dog food at Target this week um, because it was on sale and I saved on shipping. As somebody who just came to terms with her own privilege this summer, I am in no position to judge. However, it's fucking real. Privilege is a thing. Intersectionality is a thing. And for Jesus' sake, can we stop fucking killing black people and pay black women? Lola, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, baby. I love you. Here, take some pets. Come come sit up on my lap. So yeah, you find yourself sitting around with a couple minutes to spare. Go ahead and completely destroy your afternoon by accumulating somehow yet more work that you will not be paid for in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Call the hotline. Call the hotline. Let's call the hotline. But, you know, I'm, I'm still here to uh, help in any way I can, which is, I mean, does anybody need some weed? I mean, not for purchase, just like, to, you know, we sharing is caring. Yeah, be, see, that take, take that, there you go. That's helping. Sharing is caring. It's legal in New Jersey now. Didn't you get a card? Yeah, but that's, let's not bring my mental health into this yet. Yeah, no, that's a whole, that's a season four teaser. Peter, are you telling me that you actually, you have emotions? It's not just a female trait? Shut up, Amy. We're not talking about this. I'm not wearing my big girl pants today, so I can't. I don't think I'm ready to talk about this. Maybe we can hold off on that till episode three. Wait, you're not ready to talk about the fact that you are a human being, therefore have feelings, despite your gender? I'm clearly not a human being. I'm a man. I'm a man! (laughs) (laughs) That you are, and you're certainly a fucking ally. Everybody, take notes. Sponsors, uh, on a personal note, uh, Amy may cause problems down here in legal, but she will be more than happy to take your money and use it for a good cause and help people who are help more people. So, uh, pay that bitch. For anybody interested in cool things discussed by way of principles or books, let's look for them in the show notes. The only way this works as a hotline is if we find some people to come play. Everything you need to know is in the show notes. Yeah. Call the hotline. Call the hotline. Let's call the hotline. By all means, if you find any value in things that we're talking about, do tell a friend. I consider that the highest honor. There's always the public review, although part of me thinks that I should not ask that until we're out of beta. Peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys. <laughs> Man, yeah. I, you know, as annoying as it is, I have yet to figure out um, how to mind read, and <laughs> not for lack of trying. So yeah, keep me posted. How now, brown cow? The arsonist has oddly shaped feet. The Human Torch was denied a bank loan. The very best way to reach me right now would be LinkedIn. So good luck spelling the last name. Oh, man. So, yeah. I hope we all learned something. I feel like I learned something. I feel like I should stop and look around and wash my hands. And probably drink some water. Because, you know, Amy does have most of the answers. But did we feed the dog? 
so quick to tell some stories about the belt sander and feeding Lola Chinese food that one time. It was like that or nothing. Although, like, I would listen to you. Let's be serious. I buy, Pete. I buy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Revenue Real podcast, one big ass experiment about all things uncomfortable conversations in sales. I'm your host, Amy Rahubchek, and I hope you've enjoyed my conversational experience. That's a wrap. I can't. I can't. I can't. So this is Pete, your disclaimer specialist, coming to you at the super secret disclaimer portion of the show. This is a pod about transparency and difficult conversations with everyone being so open and honest. um, I must be. So here goes. I'm sorry. I apologize. You know, I, I misled you intentionally. I must confess that I am not a fucking attorney. Um, I have not passed the bar exam in the state in which I live. I uh, have never represented anyone well in anything, let alone in a court of law. But again, these are difficult conversations that Amy's having with with her guests, and, and I lied. And I should tell you that. I should be open and honest because, you know, we have been. So... We can all be better. We can all do better together. And now I'm just rambling at this point. It's just, who cares? It's an outro, right? Like, this is just going to fade into blackness like the Mars rover. Maybe a little bit less sad. That was fucking sad. Oh, let's not be that sad. Come on, guys. We can do better.